Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Blessing, but not for internal revelation and intimacy. I have to tell you that when God created man and woman, like if I could use this in a business sense, they were designed and built in a specific way so that their purpose would be to have fellowship with God. That's the only reason. It wasn't so that they could sin and that he could become the Lamb of God and redeem them. They were designed, they were built for the purpose of communion with Christ or with God in the garden. And when they did that, in the morning and in the evening or in the cool of the day, they functioned beautifully. But sometimes, as is the case, when you take something and use it in a way that it was not designed to work, you become frustrated. Now I'm going to speak to the men. You ever get involved in a project and you needed a hammer, but the closest thing to you was a big screwdriver? And you just wanted to pound one nail and you didn't want to have to go clear across the, the yard to the house or wherever the tools were? So you took the hammer and you try, or the, the screwdriver and you tried to pound the nail. And what happened is you bent the nail which meant now you have to find a nail and a hammer. It's because you used something that was very useful for what it was designed for, but useless when it came to into being of what you used it for. I'm designed to have fellowship with him. And when I am not functioning in that purpose, when I'm not having communion with him, as I was designed to do, I have a deficiency, and I become frustrated because I'm not functioning in the manner in which I was created. And I'm sort of starting from the end of my message and going back to the beginning. This I was going to talk at the end about, but I was in church the other day, and I thought about one of the biggest problems I see not only in our, my ministry here in Abundant Life, but throughout all the years that I did pastor, I see a thread, a common ground of failure, frustration, with a multitude of people. And I, I look at the scripture in Matthew, the 24th chapter, where Jesus is talking about the last days, and he said, you know, one of the things of the last days that's going to be prominent is people are going to become offended. Well, I thought about, I'm thinking about myself because I'm an expert on myself more than I am an expert on you, and I examine my heart. I have a need to be loved. I have a need to be accepted. I have a need for that spiritual communion that brings about peace in my life. Now, if I take one of those things and I do not fulfill it, it eschews the whole operation of my being. 
And if I can't, if I'm not getting the communion that I need from God, what will I do? I'll seek it from some other source. If I'm not getting the fellowship and intimacy that God intended for me to have from him, I most naturally will seek it in some other direction. I I think the best illustration for this is a child. I remember fourth grade. I, I remember it like it was just 34 years ago. Probably much longer than that. I remember a teacher that I had. We called her Miss Moroni. Not after the angel Moroni. I remember how, and I four, in fourth grade, I don't know what I was, maybe eight years old. I remember how beautiful she was. And I remember how kind she was. And how, if I ever had an infatuation as a child, I would have probably been with this woman because she was so compassionate. And I loved it when she paid attention to me. When she'd come over and lean over my little desk and she'd point something out on the paper and she was near me, and I thought, well, I felt so good because I had contact with her and she was communicating with me and she was the one that I had affection for. But she had about 29 other kids in the class. And that presented a problem for me because she couldn't give me all the attention that I desired. So the only way that I could get attention is to get bad attention. I had to do something that would draw her attention if it meant misbehaving, but it brought her over to give me some attention. Every one of us needs to be loved, and we need that attention that focuses on us and tells us that we are appreciated. If we are not receiving that in prayer or in worship, we oftentimes may act up to try to bring some attention to fill the void. Well, sometimes when you're doing it the wrong way, it brings side effects. Things, other bad things. For instance, now you become a little bit more critical of others that are around you. And after the critical part, now you become so easily offended because you're not really getting what you want. You are spiritually deficient. You know, I had my doctor tell me, she said, you know, you're, you're deficient in potassium and that's affecting how you feel. What you need is you need to have more potassium. And she said, why don't you try eating more bananas? And all of a sudden, I started to focus a little bit more on bananas. And you know what? All of a sudden, some of those, those problems, those muscle aches and pains started to go away. But she told me it was because I was deficient in one area, it was affecting me in another area. Now, I could have sworn that it was probably the muscles that were acting up. Well, those stupid muscles, why are you so sore? And it really was something that was affecting them. And the thing that you're focusing on when you're spiritually deficient, more than likely is not the root cause of your problem. It goes deeper into your being. 
It's, a, it's amazing that when a person sits in the presence of God and he is filled with the Holy Spirit, not just moved upon, as oftentimes happens in a church service where the Spirit moves upon someone as it passes by, but what I'm talking about is where the vessel is filled with God's Spirit, how that affects every aspect of your life. When you leave after a spiritual anointing, a spiritual change takes place in how you see things. The person that you were mad at, you go up and hug their neck. All the things that seemed to bother you before, like, boy, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too, the service is too long, this is too this and that's too that, all that stuff seems to just diminish when you're functioning and receiving what God wanted you to have. And so, when I look at people that develop a critical spirit, for instance, they always point to the reason as to why they're critical about whatever. But I dare say that that is not the reason. It's a symptom of something that's deficient inside their life. The Bible commands me to be filled with the Spirit. Be ye filled with the Spirit. Well, that's, that's interesting, and I'm just sort of going to talk to you tonight. Can anybody fill themselves with the Spirit? I can't. If I could, I would take it out of the fridge in the morning, I'd pop the top, and I would fill myself up before I left the house. But see, that's something that only God does. Do you know, I was talking, I spent an hour and 15 minutes talking to one of my residents the other day, and such an anointing came over me. She was the only resident that was in my group that day, and we were talking about baptism and how, what purpose it, form, it fills in her life, and we talked about the infilling of the Holy Spirit and what it was. And I could feel God's presence, and you know what I'm talking about, his anointing on what I was saying, but she wasn't getting it. Now, I could say, well, possibly her age, but I, I, I go deeper. The lid was on. And even though I was pouring, the, the, the Spirit was pouring out upon her, she was not open and able to receive it because she had closed the lid. Now, I would like to tell you that God would like to fill you with the Spirit more than you probably want to be. But your problem is you're focusing on symptoms that are somewhat distantly related to your problem. You need fellowship with God. Anybody have an idea what I mean by fellowship? Is that like going over to somebody's house and having sitting down at the table and talking? Yeah. Kind of, sort of, just like that. Fellowship is, is sharing. Fellowship is listening. Fellowship is touching. Fellowship is being concerned about the person that you're with. And it's mutually shared. It's as natural, you know, none of us here really have a problem with fellowshipping with each other. But we do have a major 
problem fellowshipping with God. Okay? Ushers, if you'll hand out the papers now, uh, we're all going to write down on the paper how long we talked to God today. And then sign your name on the bottom and pass them up and we'll share and see where we are. <laughs> Everybody's going, oh no. I know the feeling. How do you expect to operate in the manner that you were designed when you're not functioning in the way that you were created to function? And why do you get mad at God or your brother or your sister or whatever format that you don't like when you're not operating in the manner that you're supposed to be? Well, Brother Kylie, let me tell you something. I have a hard time praying. Does anybody have a hard time praying? Just sort of blink. All right. Everyone here has a problem praying. Why do you have a problem praying? That's a good one, and it's an easy one to blame. The devil usually gets a lot of it, and he's not responsible for a lot of it either. He is responsible, but not for a lot of it. Why do we have trouble praying? Huh? Distraction. And why are we distracted? Because we're not focused. If I'm solely focused on something, and I'm completely enveloped on what I'm focused, people can talk to me, and I may not even hear them. One of the problems that I, I see in my own life when I pray to God is, he doesn't talk back to me in the same manner that I talk to him. I say, God, it would be so great if you could talk to me like I talk to a friend of mine or fellowship with a friend of mine. But he doesn't. Because he talks to me internally in a spiritual way. Now, if I am not open to his spirit, I can't hear him. If I'm not spiritually oriented, how can I hear spirit? That which is flesh, he said, is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. If I am operating in the flesh, trying to communicate in a spiritual manner, how do I expect to communicate? And then I get frustrated because I don't hear him. Now, they've written a lot of books on this, and a lot of them are good. And, and some say, well, and some will tell you, no, you need to pray an hour every day. But, you know, for most of us, we'd say that would be the most frustrating hour of my day because I would constantly have to be forcing myself to focus and communicate with God when in the beginning it wasn't that way. Do you think Adam looked at his watch? Well, God, we've been talking for about an hour and a half now. Uh, I'm just going to move on. It was just natural. Now, one of the things that we talked about, and I'm going to move on a little bit, is that God will bring us to a place where he will teach us to pray. Now, in ecumenical churches, they'd like to say, here's how we pray. Here's the Lord's Prayer. Copy the Lord's Prayer, and you'll have no problems. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And pray that prayer, and many just pray the prayer, and they think they've prayed when they've just read the directions and never communicated with the, the, the author. But how does God get me to pray? Now, there are times that it's easy to pray. Somebody pulls out in front of me in traffic. Jesus! 
That's a heartfelt prayer. That came from deep, deep within me. Because a situation or a crisis developed that demanded an immediate response from me. And this is really where I wanted to start tonight. And it's not, it's not a very favorable topic, but nonetheless, it's a topic that needs to be addressed. Look at Job, for instance. Job was such a wonderful prayer warrior. He prayed for his children. He made sure that they worshipped and that they didn't sin, God, sin against God. But, you know, sometimes I look too much at Job and not so much on his friends. And I think there's more that I relate to with Job's friends at times than I do with Job. You know, Job's friends, they had come to sit with him, and they sat silently with him for seven days. That was a great gift. And as long as they kept their mouths shut, they were doing all right. But eventually, as they sat there thinking, they were compelled to come up with an explanation for Job's suffering. And when we're inactive and we're not focused and operating in a spiritual way, all of a sudden we look for explanations as to why things are going the way they are. And that's what they began to do. You know why they did that? Because Job's pain, Job's suffering, challenged what they believed. This situation that, they, that Job was involved in challenged their own faith. His losses, they concluded, must be his fault because such extreme suffering didn't fit into their understanding of God. They wanted to believe that they could control their own destiny. That's what they wanted to believe, that I have control over my own destiny. And by doing the right things and going to the right places and saying the right things, I have control over the path that I travel, when truly I do not. Because the Bible tells me the steps of a righteous man are ordered not by the person that's righteous, but they're ordered by the Lord. Because they believed that, Job's friends, that because Job must have been deficient in what he was supposed to do, he must be made responsible for his own calamity. Otherwise, if that wasn't true, they'd have to face the fact that they were powerless to keep such tragedy from even striking them. They felt fear. Job was a righteous man. And yet, look at this man as he suffers. It must be, and we must blame it on what he hasn't done. Because if we can justify it that way, as long as we do things, we'll never suffer. The right things. That challenge, those circumstances that they had to deal with, frightened them. Sometimes when bad things happen, 
and we lose someone that's close to us. And most of us, as we get older, it happens more and more often as we see those friends of ours gradually take that step off the, the mortality plateau into immortality, that we have to try to reconcile God's love with his sovereignty. And how do those two connect? We actually, as we grow older, have to find a new level of normal. What's normal? As, and I, the older I get, uh, the more my normals changed. I remember what Sister Nora said in class one day. She said to a group of teenagers and young men, she said, and women, she said, I am now almost 90 years old, and here's what I've learned. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. What was normal when I was young is no longer normal now. The, the, the battles that I fought then are not the battles that I fight now. We find that situations challenge God's channel of grace in our own lives. And I begin to realize also that every one of us plays an intricate part in this puzzle called life because as one suffers, God places others around them to minister words of encouragement, maybe not removing the, the suffering from the person that's involved in the calamity or the trial, but allowing the church to minister words of encouragement and uplifting, which in turns, turn, turns both the hearer and the doer towards God and takes their focus off of the things that are around them. I have to confess something to you, and I hope this doesn't get into the wrong hands, this tape or message. Years ago, when I started with the sheriff's department, I really enjoyed a lot of the things. I, I shouldn't say enjoyed. I felt so used in what I was doing. And the thing that I'm focusing on tonight when I say what I'm saying is one particular part of the ministry that I had in the department was um, death notifications. And I remember how I was willing to walk into another person's pain and help him to deal with what he was suffering through the loss of someone that he loved. But the older I get and the more weary that I am at the end of the day, it becomes so hard for me to take that step and to walk into the room where grief and sorrow and tragedy is overwhelming. It's hard to make that step because it costs something. And I guess we don't want to upset our Disney-like lives. Think about what I'm saying. I don't want to share in this problem because it will change the atmosphere around my own. And I'm quite happy not having to deal with that situation. So um, when the phone rings in the middle of the night, I just cringe and my stomach gets in a knot because I wonder what it is. What happened? 
What are they asking me to do? Do they want me to go into a home where there's a dead body or someone that's committed suicide or a young child's died and they want me to, to be with the person as they're, they're experiencing the raw grief of loss? I want to share a true story with you tonight. This is very just a, a short synopsis of something that I read. It involves a young pastor, I shouldn't say young man, middle-aged pastor, and his wife. They get a call late in the night. Their son is out, and they're expecting it to be their son telling them that he's going to be a little late. He's just leaving his friend's house. He'll be home in a little while. And it is not their son when they answer the phone. It's a hospital asking them to come as soon as they can. Now, he, being a pastor and being a pastor for a while, realizes a little bit of the underlying insinuation in the uh, request. So they jump into their car and they drive to the hospital and they don't know whether their son is alive or not. And when they walk in, the nurse that meets them in the ward, the unit, directs them to a room that's private outside of the patient area. And the pastor realizes at that moment, because it's, he's seen it happen in so many other situations, that this is the room where they tell you about a death. It's a grieving room. And so they find out that night that their son is gone. And I want to read a little bit about what they wrote about this incident. Right now, me and Brother Kylie, before he left to go to Israel, we're, we're talking about the number of deaths and situations that are affecting our own church right now. And I felt, I feel this is relevant because someone here or someone's is going to be or already has dealing with tragedy. And here's what she write, they write. Later that evening, the wails of our other two young adult sons, the emptiness in my daughter's eye, the gapping raw grief lining my husband's face, and my own longing for Mark convinced me that surely I must be in hell. And to be present in our home must have felt like being there as well. Although surrounded by my loving friends and family, we felt indescribable loneliness and abandonment by God. Now remember, I'm, not, I'm talking about a Christian family. How often we had stood on the precip of this valley, peering into the darkness as it swallowed up friends, terrified by what we could not see, how many times we had heard of others who received the phone call. Every parent's dread, always praying that God would exempt us from this terror. Have you ever felt that about your own children? I had tried hard to understand the deep sorrow of death, but I had never come close. And suddenly, I understood why the Bible calls death the greatest enemy. I was helpless to defend myself against it. 
death is as real as life. And ignoring either one does not change either one. Every one of us will find time to die. And death will interrupt the lives of people we know and we love. What will be our response? See, grief is not a spectator sport. It demands involvement. And here's what the Bible commands. It commands us to join others in their suffering. In Job's case, instead of his friends joining in his suffering and providing the encouragement and uplifting that he needed to make it through, they became the greatest critics of Job. Trying to blame his situation upon circumstances that he had no control over. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 15 says that we must weep with those who weep, that we must share in each other's sorrow. And when we walk in our own darkness, that we, we learn to rely on God in a way that we could never rely on him in the sunshine of the peaceful serenity of a normal life. That's the time that we find a new level of normal. See, Paul even shared with his, his readers that I know how to be abased. I know how to be exalted. I know how to have plenty. I know how to have nothing. But he said that no matter what situation I was involved in, that situation I would find a place wherein to be content. That I would, in my calamity, find a new normal, a new level of normal. One of the things that I try to emphasize to myself when I pray is what I need to hear as a, a human being. I need to remind myself that God loves me. And if I have any doubt about it, I usually repeat the scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave himself. And I remind myself that he loves me and he's chosen me and he's not going to allow anything to hurt me without his grace and power and control over it. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we loved God. See, that principle can only carry us so far. Knowing that I love God is all right. That's great. I love God. But really what I need spiritually inside of me is to have the affirmation and knowledge that God loves me. When was the last time you told your spouse that you loved them? Now the men will say, I told her that a couple months ago. How many times do I have to tell her? Doesn't she see it when I bring home my check? Why do I have to keep saying it? The woman says, boy, I wish he'd say it more because she needs the affirmation. She needs to hear it. Now, my soul needs to know that God loves it. I need to hear him speak to me. I need to hear him touch me. 
I need to feel him put his arms around me and hold me tight. I need to laugh with him and I need to cry with him and I have to have that intimacy or I am spiritually deficient and defective in everything that I try to do for God. Everything becomes mechanical when you're just going through the motions. And the only way that I can help you to relate what I'm saying is in a marriage that's lost its spark, the family can still live in the same house. But the thing that's lacking that made it a home when it started was the loyalty, the love, and the compassion, and the intimacy that was present. I don't know about you. I'm a little strange. Thank you. No one said amen. I gave you a chance. I know my wife is in the nursery with Jonathan, so I'll say this quietly. When I sleep with her at night, I have to touch her. If I have, if I have had a day, a day where I've been a hard day, where I've had a lot of anxiety and pressure, and not so much anxiety, just pressure, if I put my hand on her shoulder, I find that I, a calm comes over me, and I can't explain it, but we're touching each other. I'm touching her, and I'll tell her, you know what? When I do this, I feel a peace come over me, and I relax. Do you know that, now we can be in the same bed together, but not touch, and I can still lay in bed thinking about all my problems, but if I can touch her, it seems that my touch takes my focus off of the racing thoughts inside my mind and brings peace. I can come to church and I can be in the very presence of God and my mind and my life can be in turmoil. But the only thing that will cause me to relax spiritually is to somehow touch him. Notice the woman with the issue of the blood. She was near him. She wanted healing. She had faith, but she was not healed until she touched him. And when I touch him, it brings, it brings a completely different atmosphere into my life. So the Bible also says, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. I find it interesting that they use the word grope. Now, I think of the word grope. Okay, this is relaxed. Give me a sentence using the word grope. Somebody. Make sure it's clean. Exactly. I groped for the light switch because of the dark. In other words, I was feeling after something that I couldn't see. Those that grope after God shall find him. Well, you know, Brother Kylie, I came to church and I raised my hands and I didn't feel anything. Well, try groping for him. Try reaching out for him and looking for him. In the day, the Bible says, 
that you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. That The reverse to that is, if you're not going to seek me or grope after me, you're really never going to connect with me. Do you know why I keep groping for the light switch? Because I don't like living in the dark. You ever say, forget it. I can't find a light switch. I'm just going to walk into the house in the dark and live without it. (laughs) I hope you have plenty of bandages. Who put the table there? How come the rug is where it is? Because when you're walking in the dark without revelation, you have frustration and you become critical. If I could be accused of using one word more than any other word in my life, it would be the word stupid. I'm being honest with you. Stupid knee. Knee hurts. Stupid knee. Then I walk into the uh, the counter or the table. Stupid, stupid table. And my wife says, "Not stupid. It's it's not stupid. It's and I'm closing. I need to wind down. I think I've made my point." A church that is frustrated and is not operating in the way that it should be operating, will God will bring upon it circumstances that will cause it to seek God in a manner in which they will grope for him to find the light. A person that's living in prosperity and in revelation oftentimes will not seek God because everything is visible to them anyway. So why should I? So he allows things to come into my life that will cause me to search after him where I will find him. That family, that pastor's family that I was sharing with you about tonight, they faced a terrible trial. But look at the revelation that they've shared with people like me and like you and with their congregation, through their situation. You know how they got that revelation? Do you know how they could encourage others? Because they found communion and revelation in Christ in the midst of their darkness. That's why the Bible tells me that I shouldn't be surprised, like, oh no, I got a trial. The Bible says, be not, now I spoke, be not, be not, Concerned about the fiery trial of your faith as though some strange thing happened unto you? All these things have come to a purpose. That's why we quote the scripture. All things work together for the good because we, we're trying to, to make ourselves feel better. Well, it's going to work for the good. And then the devil speaks to you uh, and says, Sister Dredska, and says, well, how is this going to work for good? Tell me, preacher. Tell me, child of God, how is this going to work for good? How can the loss of someone that you love ever work for the good? You're going to bring them back to life? And the devil, devil just hammers upon your faith, trying to crack your faith. That's where your trust and faith reaches out to the sovereignty of God. Do you know what sovereignty means? Anybody got a definition for me? Huh? He doesn't need us, he's sovereign. But he's all-powerful and all-knowing. He's, as a matter of fact, is very close to omniscient. 
He's all powerful. And if he's in control and he's all powerful and he's allowed it, then I don't need to worry about it because he can change whatever he wants to change whenever he wants to change it. But I don't necessarily like the color of the candy that I get. I remember my brother loves licorice. And I like licorice too, but he always likes to buy the black stuff. I say, why do you buy that? He said, well, I like it. I said, I don't like it. And he said, I didn't buy it for you. You ever think that God might be saying that to you? Uh-huh. I don't like that kind. He said, I didn't buy it for you. I bought it for my glory. That trial that you're in, guess what it's going to do to you? It's going to give me a sweet taste in my mouth when you come to me and it forces you to talk to me and spend time with me and let me hold you and walk with you and show you things. Here's, here's Adam and Eve. This is so cool. Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're walking and God's talking with them. He's probably in some sort of a form. I believe he's in a theophany-like form, human form. And he says, Adam, look at that. Do you see that, that, that bug there? Is that bug amazing? Or do you see this plant? Do you see the sunrise? Do you understand all the things that you see? Because to Adam and Eve, it was all brand new. They'd never shared, seen anything like that because they'd only been around for a short period of time. When I'm walking in the Spirit, I am learning things spiritually that I've never experienced. Now, none of us are experts here. I'll tell you what, when you think you're an expert, I don't want to hang around you because you're going to make some terrible mistakes. But God opens my understanding through the trials and the tribulations of my life so that I can see spiritual things that were all around me, but I never took advantage of. All right. As Brother Kylie said on Sunday, enough said. Let's stand together. I just want to let you know the one thing, one of the things that God wanted me to point out to myself and to you, that when you start criticizing the church or people, it is not the people that is your problem. It is a spiritual deficiency in your, in your spirit that you need to correct because a person that's full of the Spirit focuses not on the things around him as much as he focuses on God. And if you don't, if you don't correct that, say that I don't correct the potassium level, and I just found this out. My doctor, my cardiologist said, it affects your heart. My heart, that's how she took the test. Because my irregular heartbeat, she said, let's check your potassium. Why are you going to check my potassium? Because your potassium level not only affects your muscles, but your heart because it is a muscle. Think about it. Your problem isn't the person that's standing next to you. Your problem is you. Lord Jesus, tonight, this is, you've been speaking to us, but Lord, especially at this time,
Speak to me, Lord. Show me that I need to do more in the way of communication with you. Intimate communication. I pray for people like Sister Nowak, Annie tonight, that they're walking through trials, and for Carrie, who's some of her relatives are dying of cancer, Lord, and all these people that are going through the tribulations of life. I pray, Lord, that you would open up their eyes so they could see the things that are around them that you provided. And give us all the faith and the hope and the trust to walk even through that dark, deep chasm called the valley of death. And we'll exalt you because one day, like that... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.